Hi, this is Jerry Reynolds for Sacramento Electronic Supply, who has been servicing the Sacramento area's industrial electronic needs for over 75 years. Family owned and operated, Sacramento Electronics is a registered California small business that prides themselves on their customer service. Their showroom and warehouse are open to the public to browse. Whether you're looking for wire and cable, tools and testers, connectors or relays, Sacramento Electronics is open for you Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. directly south of Costco in Rancho Cordova. Or hey, visit them online 24-7 at www.sacelec.com and do it. Oh, another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Who? Jim Bob Foley? Holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop from the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, writer for the King's Herald, my co host, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going today? Will, uh, it's been a hell of a ride. It's it's going all right. I'm, I'm sad the season is over, but that's what we're going to do on the podcast today is talk about it. He's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM and color analyst, GM of a WWE champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer. It's the true pride of French like himself. It's Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, absolute pleasure to have you today. How's it going? Well, uh, I, I'm through my uh, pout session. I just took <laughs> about 12 hours, and, and uh, Mrs. Reynolds advised me to grow up and, and I'm trying, <laughs> but, uh, as Tony said, I, I mean, I thought this is one of the most fun years I've had in basketball and I've been lucky enough to have a lot of good, really good years, had a lot of bad years, but, uh, this was, uh, way it, it'll end in my memory is one of, one of the very best, one of the very best. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Tony, or Tony. <laughs> the offseason started already. Yeah, uh, you we... know, I'm still drunk from yesterday, so we're gonna just keep going here. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, we uh, no surprise to anybody. We begin our first podcast of the offseason. Uh, the Sacramento Kings are finished after a uh, fantastic regular season, after a, an incredible seven game series against the defending champion Warriors. Uh, our task today is just going to be to sift through some of the pieces now that the season is finally over a little bit. So, so we'll start here. I'll kind of break down the last three games real quick, and then we'll get your opinions on them. Um, the last three games of the series basically went game five. Warriors come into Golden 1 Center, beat the Kings by seven. Uh, 50 years from now, when I'm remembering this game, the only thing I'm going to remember is Draymond Green had his best scoring output since like 2019, since Christmas of 2019, and uh, the Kings lost by seven. Um, then, uh, according to Warriors fans, it's completely over. It's done in six. Then the Kings come into the Chase Center, blow the brakes off the Warriors, thanks in part to a, a small ball lineup that employed like Terrence Davis guarding Steph Curry, uh, Trey Lyles at the five, which uh, we have some writers at the Kings Herald have been calling for that all season. Jerry, I know you talked about it. Tony, I know you talked about it. It happened, and it was it was beautiful. And uh, and then uh, it led to the ultimate uh, game seven at at the Golden One Center. Kings take a lead into the halftime, have a disastrous third quarter. Steph Curry scores 50. They lose by 20 in a game in the game. Uh, 
ring the bell. The season's done. Uh, so what were you guys' initial feelings headed into and out of each of these games? Like leaving game five, did you feel like this was done in six? And then after game six, did you feel like, oh, the Kings had the upper hand going into game seven? Well, I, I know for me, I, I felt after game five that the, you know, it was probably over. I thought maybe there's a 20% chance the Kings uh, would find a way because I, I mean, they've never quit. They've always competed and they've come back and surprised me on a consistent basis. So I was, that was where my 20% was coming. And then after that big win, I, I wasn't nearly as uh, sure, you know, and I can tell you why. And I've said this before, they, I knew the Warriors had one of the all time great players that play for them. The Kings right now don't have one of the all time great players. And, and, and I was afraid of just exactly what happened <laughs> that, uh, you know, that greatness would show out as it so often does in, in, in our sport. And so that's what I was scared of. I thought if, you know, short of uh, Curry being truly great, uh, the Kings probably would win. But I thought that was 50-50 at best just because of Curry. And, of course, didn't know he'd not only would he be all-time great, but all-time, all-time, all-time great. <laughs> Tony, what about you? How did you feel about going out of each of these games? Winning game uh, six meant so much to me because I had counted them out. And I thought, you know, the Kings win the first two games, Kerr and the Warriors make a few adjustments, and then goodbye, Kings. You know, they lose four straight. And that was that was going to leave, I think, a little bit more of a sour taste in my mouth about the season that I would have cared to admit. Just, you know getting swept after winning two games essentially because you failed to make any adjustments and, and couldn't really pull yourself out of it. But they won game six and Mike Brown made several adjustments in that game that Kerr then had to counter going into game seven. Um, that was a, a, I think I said it and I'm, that's not like a novel statement, but that was the biggest Kings win in dating, you know, beyond the last time they were in the playoffs. That was the biggest win in a, in a very long time. I can't even go date back to the exact, exactly when they won a game bigger than game six at Chase Center. That was just a, a hugely impressive win. And then game seven, they were really in it until that third quarter, man. They were, they were 24 minutes away from, from pulling it off and they just couldn't do it. And at the end of the day, though, I, I do think the better team won. The Warriors were better. They were more experienced. Curry was obviously the best player on the floor for either team. So it was a very hard fought series. There are things the Kings could have done better and they admitted it too post game. Um, a, a lot of players could have performed better, but all told it was a, a really great season, a great playoff run. The game six win was was massive for I think this team and for the fan base to to feel good about going into the offseason. Um, so that, that's kind of how my trajectory was. And then game seven was hey, we'll we'll see what happens. It's a coin toss, obviously, edge to the Warriors. They have the experience, but Kings are at home and they could have won that game. They could it was it was closer than maybe the score indicates. It got a little out of hand down the stretch, but that was a they they could have won that one too. So yeah, sad to see the season end, but it was it was quite a wave of emotions even coming into today too, just trying to digest it all. Yeah, I definitely after game five felt like the one idiot at work that was like, I think I think the Kings secretly have it in the bag. <laughs> you know, they they wasted all their energy. They needed Draymond Green to score twenty. Like they're gonna have one day's rest, and everybody I talked to, and they went, uh, it was a good season for the Kings. Yeah, but I was uh, as a tanker, as a guy who's in like, let's just trade everyone for draft picks. Who suddenly in a year turn around to be the guy that's like after game five, yeah, we got it in the bag. I think we got it, guys. I think we, I think we got it right <laughs> where we want them. They're cocky and they don't know what's about to hit them. Kings haven't lost four in a row since the opener. 
uh, I felt like a genius going into game six. I was the smartest man alive for for one night. <laughs> I, I walked away like I had I had clients text me. I can't believe you called that. I can't believe you understood. And I like I felt like Neo in the Matrix. I was seeing the green. I was seeing green numbers fall all across the place. And going into game seven, uh, I had the 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 uh, the joy to be able to go. I I, I was uh, very lucky to be able to go to game seven. And I sat with my fiance and I told her, like, if they don't have it in the bag, if the Warriors aren't up 20 going into the going into the fourth quarter, the Kings are going to win this thing. Their legs are going to be shot. And as the third quarter kind of rolled on, it wasn't a very good quarter, but they were missing, you know, two free throws in a row for Steph Curry, two free throws in a row for Andrew Wiggins. And it was like, see, their legs are gone. It's not going to happen. And then they they go from a five point deficit to a 10 point deficit to close the third. And it's like, ah, don't worry about it. I'm, I'm still confident. And about four minutes in, it was like. I am the dumbest person alive. Like I'm, I was, <laughs> I, my, I, uh, it was the best of times and worst of times for me. And uh, I tried to, I tried to remain confident, even knowing that like having seen the Kings go on that 19 0 run to finish out that Cleveland Cavaliers game earlier in the year, 16, 16 points was nothing for a Kings team like that. They didn't have it in them. Obviously their legs were kind of shot too. They just couldn't overcome Steph Curry scoring 50 in a game seven. Uh, they couldn't overcome Kevon Looney suddenly becoming Dennis Rodman and, and, uh, you know, a a fantastic series, one that I'll remember the rest of my life, but my goodness, uh, I think the Kings are going to have a a lot to look back on a lot of little things that they can nitpick and go, we could have won the series if only this little thing happened. And that excites me for the season to come. So I I guess we'll, we'll talk real quick about uh, only because this was a novel thing that ended up happening. And I'm curious as to your opinions, uh, what did you guys think of that small ball lineup in game six that Mike Brown employed and then how it was used in game seven as well? Well, for me, I, I mean, I thought it was brilliant. You know, I don't think the, the team could have won game six without it. Obviously, uh, Trey Lyles was terrific, uh, really, you know, and, and uh, it's one of those things that actually, you know, nullified uh, Looney a little bit. Because he, you know, he he can't come out there, you know, on the floor. It's like they took advantage of uh, Sabonis a little bit the other way, and the Kings. So it worked that night. And of course, uh, I'll just say this: uh, it worked because basically guys made shots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, you know, when your three point shooters are making three point shots and uh, and, and all that at, at a reasonable rate, and you had a marvelous performance. Uh, from Malik Monk, as we so often see, uh, just uh, off the charts for a guy off the bench. So, yeah, I thought I thought Mike Brown, all the buttons he pushed were the right ones in that game. Let's put it that way for game six. Yeah, it's hard to argue with those results. It was great to see Trey Lyles um, perform in those moments. He was so good in so many tight games this whole season. So to have one in the playoffs where he really was a, a huge difference maker, um, was a great call by Mike Brown. If I can nitpick Mike Brown a little bit, and that doesn't really, it doesn't really go to game six, but uh, I guess between game six and seven or across both games, the, the moving movement from Terrence uh, from Davion Mitchell to Terrence Davis is something I, I don't know if I, if I love that switch. Cause I thought Davion was having a really good series and obviously Steph Curry exploded in game seven. So I think that's something that the Kings will probably re reevaluate if they made the right call there. Terrence Davis hit some shots and he, he was pretty good. So, you know, maybe, Maybe use Davion Mitchell instead of Herter or Barnes or something. Some some players that were struggling a little bit more. But 
I thought it was it, it was nice to see Trey Lyles get his moment. It was a little bit weird to me to see Davion be the one that kind of got demoted uh, for those last two games because I thought he was having a really strong series. You know, too, I, I guess it, with Davion, I, honestly, I thought game seven, as smart a moves as, as uh, Coach Brown made in six, I certainly, I, I hate to nitpick and second guess, but I'm going to. Sure. Uh, Davion Mitchell should have been on him. Yeah, That's yeah. all there is to it. Uh, I mean, you could put Terrence Davis on, on Clay Thompson or somebody, but there's only one guy that bothered Steph at all. And, and certainly you'd required him to use a lot more screens to get shots, to get places and all that. And uh, yeah, I, I don't, honestly, I just didn't understand that at all, especially once you saw Curry had it going. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, mm -hmm. my God, uh, this ain't working. <laughs> yeah. There was that when they, when they announced that Draymond Green and Kevon Looney were starting again, where they were removing Jordan Poole from the starting lineup. Uh, this might be too Monday morning quarterbacky for me, but it was one of those things like I wish they'd have gone the, the same two, the same game one and game two was working for them. They could have gone back to the exact same strategy and worked that where they had two guys that weren't scorers out there with Davion chasing Steph around and not saying that would negate Steph's 50 point game, but it certainly would have been a lot harder for him to get to the basket for all those little scoop layups that he seemed to have freely. Davion Mitchell in front of you, it makes it a lot harder to get some of those scoop layups and you don't need him out there for pool. You don't need that micro, that small ball lineup of Trey Lyles at the five when you've got Draymond and, and Kevon out there. So I'm curious, uh, outside of that, was there anything other than other than the way they employed Davion in game seven that you guys would Monday morning quarterback? Are there any things, not, not necessarily talking smack about the coaching staff because I think they did a fantastic job all series. Just if it were up to you, were there other things that you guys might have done now that you've seen the breadth of the series? in terms of coaching or, or positional changes? You know, I mean, for me, it, it's the guys, I guess I'd start with this, is just looking at the overall stats for seven games, which I always think those are meaningful. Uh, really, it was a tough go for the coach because, and I, I do second guess not using Davion. I, I'm not going to apologize for that. Uh I don't know if it worked, but it couldn't have it. And what this is one of those instances they say, well, things can always be worse. No, no, they could not have been worse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so that, that, that's that, but just looking at the stats for the Kings and, and the Warriors, really, there was only one player on the Kings that had, you know, for a team that's been so highly productive offensively all year, that was actually productive to a winning degree. Only one that played significant minutes, and that's Malik Monk. It wasn't even Fox. Uh, you know, he averaged about 1.4 points a shot, where, where Fox and Sabonis were both under 1.2. You know, guys that had so, you know, the, and then the other guys were, you know, basically missing in action in many cases. So now, and really, the, <clears throat> excuse me, it was very similar to the Warriors. Uh, you know, with the exception of Curry, uh, they weren't productive either. Uh, I mean, I think it's a credit to both teams' defenses. I do think the defenses were much better. I think it was harder to get shots. Uh, you know, the only guy that could have had, had easy shots was Sabonis or Looney, and, of course, they didn't want to take them. But, uh, and, and, fought, and certainly Sabonis should have. But, but I thought that interesting, you know, is that, uh, you know, it came down to a game seven, 
you know, and and really, uh, and Monk didn't. That's the only game he wasn't highly productive. So, oh, well, so it was just one of those. I, 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 it stunned me when I looked at the stats this morning on that basis. You know, it's like you know your your eyes tell you a lot, uh, but but then they mislead you sometimes a little bit. And so it's a credit to the team's defense, but obviously guys you really count on, top guys, you know, certainly when you say uh, Sabonis, Fox, uh, Harrison Barnes, and Herter, uh, you know, Fox and Sabonis, especially Sabonis didn't play near what he should, but it wasn't a total disaster statistically other than, you know, a loony kicking his butt. <laughs> but, yeah. but uh, you know, wing guys are allowed to get offensive rebounds too. Uh, so, so anyway, I, I just get, got that off my chest. I mean, it just seemed, you know, when, when, you know, key guys are just, like Barnes and Herter are giving you nothing. That's, that's really a tough hill to climb. Yeah. And, and now Warriors had pool giving them nothing. And then really at the end of the last few games, uh, uh, Draymond wasn't a factor. Yeah. And 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 Wiggins wasn't real good. Started off real good. I mean, it's just really kind of remarkable to me how unproductive most of the players really <laughs> yeah. were. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Tony, was there anything that you, as a fan, saw that you were like, "Man, if I could coach, this is what I'd have done different." Well, I would have been wrong because my move would have been, "Let's change up the starting lineup heading into Game Six. Um, sure. I thought, you know, Herder and Barnes had earned a demotion, in my opinion. Like, if, if Kerr has the power to demote Green and then Poole, then surely Mike Brown can remove guys like Herter and Barnes from the starting line if they aren't performing well. I thought that would have been, like, game six, your back is against the wall. This lineup is not working. Let's make a change. To Mike Brown's credit, he didn't, and they had one of their best games of the series in game six. So it's hard to call that a, a bad second guess when what Mike Brown actually did worked. But I still just do come back to the fact that for a coach that preaches defense as hard as he does, and this has been a talking point all year, that in the final closing games, it is your best defender that you actually don't give the minutes to. I just it was a it was a weird call, I think, but at the same time, Terrence Davis was productive off the bench. So yeah, it was a it was a if I could grade Mike Brown, I don't even know I would grade Mike Brown for the series. There were definitely some things I he did that I liked. I I do wish he was a little bit more aggressive overall in uh, if the guys aren't performing, don't play them as much. And if the guys are, give them more minutes. But Jerry also ran down the stats. It's hard to find five guys that were performing good yeah. every night. So it, it wasn't a tough spot for it for as as nitpicky as I can get about the rotations. I do think he didn't have the best options this series. So, I, you know, it's to me, it's way more on the players than Mike Brown. If you had to kind of put blame, if you if you want to call that on, on who lost the series for the Kings, the, the players struggled. I know there's a report out there uh, between game six and seven that the big three for the Warriors kind of, Jerry, I don't know if you read this or not, but that they sat stunned in the locker room after game six and they sat there in silence and all just kind of looked at each other unknowing of what the future was going to hold. It was very romantic and very sad that, you know, that these three guys after the Kings beat them in game six, just quietly sat there after every other player had left. And that led to Steph Curry texting Draymond Green at, 3:45 in the morning saying I can't sleep everybody better get to the arena or to some meeting place and then Steph Curry ended up with a William Wallace Braveheart style speech that inspired this heroic band of millionaires to go play better basketball in game seven um but I guess what I'm trying to get to is uh 
that that's kind of the romanticized version of of how the Warriors wound up digging deep with inside themselves to win game seven. But I'm curious as to what you guys think. What's the difference uh, at the end of the day between game six and game seven tangibly that you saw that like, OK, the Kings were this was working in game six for the Kings and it didn't end up working for the the Kings in game seven. This can be strategy. This can just be players that miss shots. What ultimately led to the Kings losing game seven after a game six that looked rather dominant? Well, that you know, that's a great question. I mean, because the first half was so I thought was, was so much fun to watch. Great basketball. Not saying, uh, you know, it was a perfect game by any stretch, a lot of mistakes. But I, I just thought, boy, this is this is a big time game going to go right down to the wire. But if I had to simplify it, then I think there is a simple answer. You had one player that was eons better than everybody else. And he didn't play for the Kings. Yeah. They couldn't guard one guy. And and certainly Looney was terrific, but uh, you know, you they still had to make shots, and Curry was the only guy that really made any shots. <laughs> so uh yeah, I, I I don't I mean I think it's a case of uh truthfully, uh, and we've talked about it and you know, the heart of a champion. They've been there. They've done it. Uh, to, for anybody thought they were going to go out easy, it's just a damn fool. Uh, you know, I mean, they they too much on their resumes. Could the Kings have beaten them? Yeah, I think they could have, which is why I'm encouraged. I think they could have. But they weren't the better team in seven games. That's been established. And... The better team was the Warriors. They deserved to get the win, and and they had by far the best player. And that's and that's happened so often. Right. <laughs> you know, that's happened so often in 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 the game of basketball. To me, this whole series was a uh, exercise in like all of the worst fears of the, this roster construction come true in one game or the other, whether it's cold shooting and then it's you know your poor defense is stopping other games then to me in game seven it was the rebounding that we knew could have been a problem because Sabonis is really your only full-sized player in the front court both Keegan Murray and Harrison Barnes are a little bit on the lighter end for forwards neither of them are great rebounders so um that was just unfortunate timing with the for the rebounding to totally collapse Looney had 10 offensive rebounds which is crazy and in those in that third quarter and fourth quarter when the Kings were trying to to find some life it seemed like every possession where they finally did get a stop it was a loony rebound and just the second chance opportunities I don't know how you how you can keep your composure and defend you know 40 to 60 second shot clocks when you've got offensive rebound after offensive rebound with the best shooter on the planet it's just a lot it's a lot of pressure on your defense and, and on your rebounding and that wears you out and I think the Warriors just wore the Kings out in game seven to me, which is odd because they are the older team. But man, I just the the demoralization of those offensive rebounds to me was kind of the the key to maybe not the Kings winning the game, but you just can't get back in a game when you cannot get rebounds. You can't get back up the court. You can't get stops. It's um so that's what it was for me. And that's something the Kings probably need to address in the offseason. Like like all the other issues the Warriors expose, I think. You know, Monty McNair has a, he knows what the holes are and we saw them all year in the regular season, but I don't think it was ever more clear than in this series against the Warriors. After seeing the Kings go up to O, after seeing the Kings have a lead going into the second half of game seven, uh, this might sound a little more dense than I intend, but did the, this might sound dumber than I expect, but did the Kings lose the series or did the Warriors win this series? 
I think it's a little of both. You know, I mean, certainly the Kings, as Tony pointed out, I thought the rebounding in the third quarter, it probably probably separated the teams uh, to go along with Curry's unbelievable shooting scoring display, not necessarily shooting. He was able to do things. But, uh, yeah, so, so did the Kings uh, lose it? Yeah, they did right there, probably. They, But then again, they couldn't – they wouldn't have – lost it had curry not been curry yeah you know i mean really i, I there is a it's a catch-22 it's like yeah uh you you know if if they if he hadn't been ungodly they still would have been in the game even with the rebounding problems sure so so that's uh to me so much of it uh, you know obviously looney was terrific you know he was a kind of a rodman type you know for for that team uh came but you know, still the team that gets the most points wins, and 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 the guy that created most of them played for the Warriors. Yeah, I don't know how to slice that up. <laughs> Will it was such a tight series, and then because then the the thing on top of all this is Fox wasn't healthy, and I thought it was clear where he was limited. His I've never seen yeah. him just cough the ball up, ball handling like you did over the last few games. It was actually like. It was difficult to watch at times. They'd just be dribbling and then he'd lose the ball in a in a way that is not characteristic for De'Aaron Fox. So that's the other element too. Like the Kings go into this offseason, in addition to all the players who under underperformed who were healthy, you also have this De'Aaron Fox injury kind of hanging over your head where you are thinking, man, could we have won one of these games if we had our, our star healthy? Maybe. So there's there's a million different ways you can kind of slice how the series ended up. But I do I do still think the Kings just did not, they just were not good enough. Also, like they did not do enough things well. Maybe, maybe they're good enough, but they didn't do enough things well enough in this series to deserve to knock off the defending champs. Is kind of how I look at look at it at the end of the day. Is that you know you got to play way better than they did to beat this team, and they just didn't do it. Yeah, you know, for a team that's supposed to be and was the best offensive team in the league, they weren't really very good offense. Yeah. I don't know how else to put it guys that you count on making shots then they made them all year didn't make them and and then you add uh, tony's point's a great one i mean fox wasn't the same i really give him a lot of credit Mm -hmm. for playing those last couple of games uh uh, you know because you could definitely probably didn't affect his shooting like as much as his dribbling and passing that's where you really saw it and uh you know I, i i mean i thought too that was a key bad thing for the for the Kings, both um, major assist guys, Sabonis and Fox, really had bad assist to turnover yeah. ratios, and uh, you know, way more turnover or turnovers, many turnovers as assists. So, uh, you know, that's that's kind of part of it. I, I just think that uh, you know they you, they just didn't bring their A game often enough to to beat a, a defending champion. I mean, I don't think the Warriors are. A, a champion again personally but but uh you're, you're just not going to beat them with your b game and and for the most part that's really kind of what the kings had with guys like kevin herter and keegan murray not having the best of series with demonis sabonis obviously not having the best of series fox with the injury how would you jerry as a coach go into the offseason what would you tell each of those guys in the locker room or in the in the the wrap up meetings for the season to try to get them ready for next season. What would you? How would you have approached a, a game seven loss like that with each of those guys? Well, I I, I certainly would approach it from the positives as much as possible. 
what a great year we've had. Nobody expected us to be third. Uh, took a game seven from the defending champions, but you know we could have beaten them, and we need, you know, you could go right down the line. We need this player to, you need to be able to do this better and this better and this better and these kind of things with each guy because there's plenty of, of, of legitimate ways to criticize on, on and, and not on big things, but on small things because this team, you want it to get better and uh, there's no reason they can't. Now, you know, just as a looking back, and as you know, I always kind of look back at things and 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 I would to me this team reminded me so much of the Rick Adelman's first team the 98-99 team that you know played Utah very well a beautiful playoff series weren't quite good enough you know that's the bottom line and then uh, the next year still weren't quite good enough but my, my point is this and I think the, the fans as fans we forget too much is that that team the starting lineup was Jason Williams, Olivia St. John, Corliss Williamson, Lottie Devots, and Chris Weber. Now, three years later, that ain't the lineup. Now, that's all I'm say, trying to say about this. Yeah, there's there's three or four guys here. There may be some different, you know, some differences. I mean, you had Tony Delk as a six man. Uh, wasn't Bobby Jackson. <laughs> so so that's that's why you need to get in the playoffs. That's why people say, well, you know, you get in the playoffs, you get beat, you get number one and eight. Well, obviously, we've seen eights beat one uh, a couple times already. But uh, but that's why you need to get in there to find out what you need. And as people, Tony pointed out, couldn't agree more. This team needs a lively four or five that can shoot the three and block shots and 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 play with or or behind Sabonis, you know. And I mean, they to me it starts. You got to have that. Uh, you just got to have that. And uh, doesn't mean that you know is is Herder the guy that you go forward with? Are you better off with Monk as a starter? Maybe Herder off the bench. Is Harrison Barnes is Harrison Barnes a starter down the road, or or is he going to be a bench player, or do you want to? move on and do you is Keegan Murray the guy you really think ought to be your three going forward which I think <laughs> <laughs> but uh anyway so so those are the, I mean I just I think as fans sometimes you know we 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 see one thing and think well yeah well this will solve it these guys will go home and they'll all come back better well some will but some can't and uh so, you know, you'll get some improvements from the experience. You'll get some from within guys that will work to improve their games a little bit. Uh, but you're going to have to get some help to go forward. This team needs something it doesn't have. Is there a, is there anything you two are looking forward to? We have all summer to talk about this, but is there anything you two are looking forward to basketball wise now that the season is done in terms of the Kings, the draft, free agency, anything else like that? Well, for me, it, I think free agency, uh, I think you have to look at that. You know, this team, you're not the, probably the 19-year-old you get in the draft is not going to be make much of a difference uh, where you're picking. I mean, it, it could happen. Could You know, you could get a nice 
eighth or ninth guy if you're lucky. Uh, so I think free agency and trades is where you really have to focus. Uh, you know, to and it's it, it's a lot like uh, in my mind what Petrie did through the years. Uh, you know, basically, uh, it's not necessarily getting more talented guys; it, it's getting better fits. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, and so you know, he he hit on everything right there for a while. I'm not, you know. And uh, so I think that's what uh, Monty McNair's got to do. It's like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll just put out one name here. And I, I know fans can just say, you finally went totally senile, Jerry. But, <laughs> but uh, and there's some truth in that. But uh, for instance, to me, a guy they need to look at. And, and, and if I were Monty, Nas Reed. Oh, yeah. A guy's a, oh, yeah. a, a guy that's a free agent. He's not making a lot of money. Minnesota might not be able to bring him back because they've got such a commitment financially to go bear and, and, and Carl Anthony towns. And, uh, you know, he's, he's big, he's six, nine, two thirty-five. can shoot the three, uh, very athletic, not super athletic, but athletic, you know, that, uh, anyway, I mean, I'm just saying that's probably not whether it's him, but that's, it's not like you're going to go get uh, Joel Embiid or, you, you know, I mean, there, you, 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 you probably need, and this team doesn't necessarily need that. It needs, it needs to get stronger on the edges. It needs to get, you know, if you can get Im improving in a couple of positions, uh, this team certainly would have a chance to be as good as anybody in the West for sure. So uh, that's, I'm through rambling, but I've been thinking about this too much. And it's, you know, I'm too old to think about all these things. <laughs> Tony, what about you? Uh, well, I love Nas Reed, but also the Kings have like, yeah, it's free agency. This is, um, and I thought De'Aaron Fox had an awesome, I, I, first off, I've been so impressed with De'Aaron Fox this whole season mm -hmm. and even more so in the playoffs. Everything he says post game is right on the money to me. After the game was over, he had mentioned how um, teams get to this point. Like they get to the third seed in the West, they they reach a certain point in in you know their trajectory, and from there they either go down or they go up. And him having that realization, that just that understanding of how the league works, and it's like, yeah, we actually need to now get better from here. The status quo, the same or getting worse, is is not acceptable. And I think they have like Monty McNair has a core here that is capable of getting them into the playoffs. Like Fox and Sabonis, they're good enough now to get you into the playoffs for as many years as you, as you kind of want to go, I think, or at least in the plan. So now it's a matter of finding the guys who can help them in the postseason. And now we know exactly what they need to do that. Uh, Harrison Barnes coming up is a free agent. Trey Lyles is a free agent. You also have $12 million of basically dead cap space and Rashawn Holmes to play around with. So McNair has options. Kevin Herter is on a great contract. If you do want to move him, you can. We just saw Davion Mitchell in the last two games, and I love Davion Mitchell, but to have his numbers or his minutes reduced to the level they were, that's a trade chip. I would even say, for as much as I love Keegan Murray, like if you really want to make a splash and and get one of the you know the Pascal Siakams or the OGs of the world, then you can put Keegan on the table. I know we had talked about Keegan for Mikael Bridges earlier in the year. That's probably not on the table anymore, but he would have been a tremendous fit for this team as like a rangy wing defender. So I guess my my uh, hope is. My, my fear and my hope, my fear is that the Kings don't do a lot and they kind of rest with what they have and they, they are satisfied with who they have and they want to bring it back. I mean, that's a lot of the comments today were 
hope they bring this group back. Like that was a lot of the players. We love this group. It was a brotherhood. I hope they bring everyone back. And to me, that's kind of my biggest fear with this roster. I want Monty McNair to push it, to, to, to be aggressive in improving the team. Cause I think they're actually pretty close. I think De'Aaron Fox is as his clutch scoring in the playoffs. If he was healthy, uh, you know, they, they are not so far away from actually being a contender here that I just hope they continue to push it and push it hard because as we've seen in the NBA, your window is not as long as you want it to be. It's, you know, windows get shut earlier than you would think when you have young players and young cores. So the Kings have a great young core here, but I do hope they aggressively pursue getting better and they do have some tools to do it this offseason. So yeah, free agency is going to be super compelling and exciting. And I hope McNair continues being aggressive as he has been really since the Sabonis trade in changing pieces and, and moving the roster around. You know, and just one other thing on it, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, by the way, I mean, I think it's on the fringes, you know, I mean, you, and, and the chemistry is so good. You don't want to mess it up. And I'll go back to the uh, 98, 99. Then after that, you know, Olivier St. John wasn't the guy. Everybody knew that. And the Kings brought in Nick Anderson, who wasn't the guy either, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, that happens, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it, it, that's also, you want, it's very important to be, you know, make the, those right moves. I mean, and certainly, and, and don't just, this team has chemistry. It has a pecking order. Uh, as Tony mentioned, De'Aaron Fox is the guy. Everybody knows that. Everybody, and he's a guy that can take another step. Nobody else is capable of taking another step in my mind, or Keegan is, uh, excuse me, but that's, that's another issue entirely. But uh, so, I, I guess I'd leave it on that is you want to make sure it, it fits more with, with Fox than anybody. Obviously Domas would be the second, you know, there's no reason to, to screw up a guy who, you know, is, is really good, even if he had a bad, terrible half, <laughs> but uh, so, so anyway, but yeah, I, I think it, it's, it's take, take minor steps take minor steps and see maybe something will make you a little better because you're close and you're yeah. close and uh, don't, you know, don't just say, Oh, we got to get rid of this guy, that guy, this guy, that guy. And pretty soon. Yeah. You can go, go back, you know, they, yeah. Go back to winning 35, see how much fun that is. <laughs> uh, Tony, one of the things that uh, when I, when I was listening to, Fox talk about like you either get better or you get worse. Uh, one of my very best friends is a Timberwolves fan and a massive Timberwolves fan at that. And like, there's been multiple times just in the last decade where the Timberwolves have made swings like for Jimmy Butler uh, and that didn't work out. Or like, I was thinking about like being aggressive and you talking about being aggressive. My first thought was like, be aggressive, but don't be Tim Connolly going after Rudy Gobert. Like, right. like, because, because you won, you won 46 games you trade for, for Rudy Gobert, and obviously there's injuries to Cat and everything else like that, but like the vibes on that team are bad. Rudy Gobert is obviously not the guy that you should have traded for at all, much less the package that you gave up for him. Like, so it's like be aggressive, but like be softly aggressive. Like, don't 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 go for don't go for Rudy Gobert with four four first round picks. Like, yeah. don't trade five first round picks for for John Collins. Like, you can entertain John Collins, you can get rid of Harrison Barnes, or you can trade whoever you want to. But like, let's let's not do a Rudy Gobert level of aggressive there. Like, be yes. be, be be quick, but don't hurry. Yeah, spend within your means. I, I you yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. totally yeah, agree, yeah. Jerry. Totally. As you said, it's more of a fringes. Like, let's let's develop the fringes here a little bit more. Be aggressive on the fringes. Yeah, we can make ourselves better here and a little better here. 
and I and eventually we'll get we'll get better. That's that's right. a, yeah, you know, because you, you know, anyway, as Tony pointed out, I mean, I think that's what we've noticed all year long. Uh, there's no there's no super team in the West, mm-hmm. right? There's no super team in the league. Yeah. You know, you're not dealing with the Jordan Bulls or the Magic Showtime Lakers or teams like that. They're just not. I don't care what anybody says. There's a lot of really good teams. That and that's that. So and the Kings aren't very far from being one of those really good teams. Yeah. So yeah, 100%. let's keep keep it in perspective. All right. So we're gonna cut to a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Sacramento Electronic Supply now has stock on Trinnet switches, five to eighteen port gigabyte power over Ethernet switches for all your networking and camera needs. Stop on by their location directly south of Costco in Rancho Cordova, Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Hey, or visit them online 24-7 at www.sacelect.com. All right, Tony. Well, we're rolling over to you now for some uh, for some of our uh... First, uh, our our first uh, level of Patreon questions, our off-season Patreon questions of the day. Thanks, Will. Uh, on every episode of this podcast, we ask at least one question from our King's Herald patrons. You can subscribe at patreon.com slash King's Herald, and you can submit questions on Patreon, on Twitter, on the, uh, on the website, all over. Just throw us questions, and we will ask them on the show. Uh, we usually, we ask one on the show, but we're going to go through a few of them because we got a lot of people kind of sounding off on their feelings heading into the off-season, and it was a um, great playoff series, so have some questions for Jerry that I thought were really strong. So I want to get his opinion on them. So we're going to go through a few of them here um, right now. All right. Uh, first question comes from Daniel Schultz and Daniel asks, um, there is a lot of talk right now uh, about learning from failure, coming back stronger, et cetera. How does next, how does next season have to go in order for us to say that the Kings have done that? Is it more wins? Is it a deeper playoff run? What and slash where is the threshold? Well, those are, that's a great question. I think if you're uh, working for the Kings or a fan of the Kings, but let's say you're Monty McNair or Mike Brown, I think the answer is is pretty clear. You would like to win more games and uh, have a deeper playoff run, you know, win a playoff round. Uh, uh, now, would I say that's total failure if that doesn't happen? Because you can't say that because you don't know. I mean, it could be injuries or it could be uh, you happen to – Maybe there is a super team that does show up some way that you get stuck with. I, I so, but but it's a fair question, and I really do believe that. Yeah, this is you. This was a first year, uh, you know, a marvelous breakout year. Uh, so you're expecting to get better, uh, and you're not an old team. So you 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 have every right to think you should get better just from within to a certain degree, you know improvements from guys you have but of course you also know that some of them ain't you know you're pretty sure they're not quite as good as you need them to be and so so there's that but yeah i i would if i were monty mcnair and the team didn't say improve it wouldn't have to win more games but have to be a better team a little little more little better defensively a little better on the boards you know a little little better more guys that maybe could do something in the low post Things like that. Will, what's your um, threshold? Will you'll say, oh, yeah, the Kings are better this year because the result was this. Yeah, I mean, 
I, I think it's I think it's uh, a deeper playoff push, uh, mostly. I mean, uh, the Bucks won 58 games this year and we're out in the first round. Do you think they've had a more successful season than the Heat, who who messed around with 44 wins and, and are now they've already taken game one of that Knicks series? Like, it's one of those things that I think that the Heat at the end of the day will come away going like, yeah, well, we didn't win as many as we wanted in the regular season. But when it mattered, we we got deeper in the playoffs than the Bucks did. So I, I know Mike Brown has said, like, they brought me in here to win in the playoffs, like to take them to the playoffs, to win in the playoffs. And so uh, we talk about this a lot on 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 Slack, but I and I subscribe to this theory that it would not surprise me if the Kings won more games the next season, but wound up with a lower seed in the Western Conference just because of the way the Western Conference shakes out. And if the Kings are a sixth seed next year, but win 52 games, I'm not going to be like, well, they didn't have quite as good a season because they were a sixth seed. It, it will matter when in the six seed they they go seven games against the three seed or they they top whoever they end up playing in the first round. That'll be the measure of success for me down the road is how many playoff series can they win, um, regardless almost of how many games they win in the regular season. We're we're a big boy franchise now. We are we are in the mix in terms of like we don't have to count lottery balls every single year as far as we know. And so for me, the the move going forward will be playoff success as as much or more than the regular season success. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, uh, to your point, uh, you know, I watched Atlanta beat Miami in the play-in game. And, yeah. you know, and they look dead in the water Yeah. And at that time, you know, but they do have playoff Jimmy. And, <laughs> and, 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 you know, that's that's kind of another story again, you know? Uh, but anyway, yeah, I, anyway, I think we're on the same page there. You know, you just, uh, you can win 50 games and be sixth, but, you, but, and still be better. You just, uh, you, you can't control whatever other team does. You can only try to control what your team does. Yeah. I think for just for so many years, we've been so bad that like we can say 35 wins is not as good as 30 wins. And so we failed the season and now that was black and white for a long time. And now we are living in an entirely gray world of like, okay, well, how, like how successful are you if you won 48 versus 50, but you go six games in the playoffs instead of four games in the playoffs, we we're, we're in the thick of it now. And so it gets a lot more complicated. That question is a lot more complicated, Tony, than it was two years ago. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. It's like, uh, congratulations, Kings fans, Kings, you guys made it. But now in order to feel good about the season, you got to now win a playoff series next year because you set the bar so high. Because I, I know I didn't expect a three-seed uh, home playoff series. I thought that would happen next year. They kind of jumped a year to me already. So, But you're right. I mean, the, 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 top, the clock is ticking. And we've seen teams not strike when they have, they have something. I look at Dallas and like how much they've botched the Luka Doncic era. To me, now they got a player in Fox who is, if he's not as good as Luka, he's close. So now do right by the star that you have and, and let's get, you know, let's get a real playoff team in here, a team that can, can go deep in the playoffs. Um, so that's how I'm grading it too. Let's, let's get around next year. Next question comes from Dutch Kings fan. And we kind of touched on this with the Nas Reed recommendation, but I'll throw it out to Jerry and Will already. Uh, Dutch Kings fan asks, rebounding played a big part in the series, especially in game seven. Is this a structural issue for the Kings? And if structural, how would you address it? Can you realistically address it? without hurting the offense. And please, Will, don't say Mo Bamba. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that, that ship has sailed uh, <laughs> for both. I mean, and I still think the guy, had, personally, I think the guy in the right spot might still could play. But yeah. but uh, the Kings can't really take, they can't be the rec reclamator of, yeah. of, of, yeah. at this point. But uh, yeah, I, I think obviously rebounding is a bit of a problem. Uh, I, I do think, you know, and it's, this is just my opinion here, the progress that Keegan Murray made the last part of the season, mm -hmm. he became a pretty good rebounder. Now, I think he'd be, a, as a small forward, he's, he would be a quite good rebounder. And so that helps your rebounding because I think he's a better rebounder than Harris. So you, you've improved now if you get somebody at four that's also a better rebounder than Keegan was. And I'm not very smart, but I feel like if you get uh, two positions rebounding more than they already did, you probably rebounding would improve to some degree significantly. Uh, and 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 Domas, you, you can't expect him to be more than the best rebounder in the league. Yeah. Uh, and I think, in fairness, he shouldn't even have to expect that from him at his size. But uh, but anyway, uh, that's kind of how you do it. I think you've got guards that are pretty good at it. You know, certainly, I think all the guards are 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 decent. Uh, so, but that would be that it is an issue. I I totally agree. I think it is. I think you have to admit that it is. Uh, it's probably it's probably not as big issue in regular season. But but uh, you know you you've got to have a little more bulk and a little more toughness and all those things. Uh, you know, that's just the kind of the way it works. I think and. Uh, so, so that's why I would be looking certainly three agency trades, you know, work around the edges, uh, as we've already talked about. Will, how do you address the, uh, the rebounding here? Um, is there any way that Josh Hart decides to leave the Knicks? Because there's, there's a way that you can get a, a, another set of hands on a ball without like really, you could, then you can go get your, your five. Uh, who could be a shot blocking type, but have another guy out there who's a, a damn good rebounder and Josh Hart. Well, that's a great, that's a great name right there. You know, I, I tell yep. you, that guy is such an underrated player. Yes. Boy, yeah. what an underrated player. Um, I guess I can't, if I can't say, uh, if I can't say Mo Bamba, like I always love Jerry's, uh, 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 I think Brooke Lopez is a free agent. Uh, I yep. don't know how much he'd cost, but he hits threes. And he rebounds and he blocks shots. So could you, could you spend a little extra and get a guy like that? Because I think, and while he's a little bit older, then that gives you a little bit of a window to get to a Western Conference Finals or something like that. Maybe you want to sneak in and win a championship in the next couple of years. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's going to be rebounding by committee until you get somebody longer and and faster than what Sabonis is. Just because Sabonis, being who he is, he's a fantastic rebounder, but he's not a shot blocker. He's going to always get there's going to always be a disadvantage with him as a center in certain regards. So you have to kind of rebound in other kind of odd positions. And the only one I could see open, I don't think Kevin Herter is going to suddenly become a fantastic rebounder, but like, I, I think getting a small forward that's above average would help or a power forward, whichever one we choose Keegan Murray to not play. I think that's the biggest way to do it. Well, yeah, like I say, I mean, I think, you know, and I, I think Brooke Lopez would be the ideal thing. I mean, he's probably got two years left. If you're, you know, your window probably could very well be, you can't ever look at your window longer than two years anyway. Sure. Uh, but, uh, 
you know, I can't imagine the Bucks letting him go or him leaving. But but if I'm Monty McNair, I I I uh, I, I kind of get in touch with his agent. I'll tell you that, you know, unbeknownst, maybe run into him at a coffee shop somewhere <laughs> <laughs> and say, now, you know, hey, come July first, you know, uh, you know, we we can see. And of course, that's like say that's what I brought up Nas Reed because he's a lot cheaper. Uh, but he, may, I mean, I, I think he's a good enough to where there'll be offers. Yeah. You know, you're not going to get him for two million a year again. Like, uh, so anyway. Yeah, I kind of for the sake of the Kings, I kind of lump defense and rebounding together when we talk about Sabonis, Barnes, and Murray, and I just don't think there's enough of either of those things amongst those three players. Like between. Sabonis, Murray, and Barnes, you need to find a better rebounder and defender. I, I don't care where it comes from, but I just think that having those three players be your three biggest players on the court, you're always going to have rebounding and defense problems. So that's where you got to fix it. However you do it, I don't care. But I do think that is the biggest need, is, is finding a defender and rebounder that you can place in inside one of those positions. And then, you know, maybe you can convince Harrison Barnes to be your, your new sixth man. That would be great. I don't know if he's ready to make that decision from, for his career yet, but that's kind of where I'm looking at all off season is what are they going to do with those three players? Who's in, who's out and and where's the help? Because I, I think that's where they need it most. Well, that, I mean, getting back to it, you know, I totally agree. And that's why I've said, I, I think the sooner you get to the uh, Keegan Murray's a small forward, the, the better off you're going to be. Because I think at that position, he's long, he's lively. I think he'll rebound. As a power forward, he can't rebound enough. As a small forward, he rebounds enough. And defensively, I think he's got a chance to be pretty good. You know, I mean, he's got instincts. He he does block a few shots. But here again, as a small forward, I think he's got a chance to be, you know, in the upper echelon of small forwards. As a power forward, I think he's in the lower echelon of power forwards. So, to me, that's a, a good way of improving two spots. Last question I'll ask here is from Craig. And um, this is an interesting one. You know, we've talked about Herder and Harrison Barnes' struggles in the playoffs. Um, Craig asks, I'm curious when Jerry would worry about poor playoff performances. When does he consider it just a bad year or a bad series? And when would he become legitimately concerned about a player on the big stage? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I, I mean... I think you have to go through a playoff series to get some idea. Yeah. You know, I mean, as we've already talked about uh, with the exception of Monk, and I think that the stats tell that I'm not making stuff up here. Uh, he had a, a, what I'd call a winning stat line, yeah. uh, uh, but he was the only one. <laughs> so, you know, and I, and I know that surprised me because I assume Fox would too, but he, he didn't either. And I knew Sabonis wouldn't, but then his actually stat line wasn't as terrible as it seemed. Uh, so, so all that being said, I, yeah, I think, okay, to me, you just put this in the book. Okay. We've seen this now. Uh, we know we've got some things just like we've talked about already that we know we need to do. Now, that doesn't mean you give up on guys either. I mean, Kevin Herter has played in big time game sevens before and been terrific. He had a 27 spot on the 76ers to advance for the Hawks to the Eastern final. So uh, I, I'm not going to, you know, I, I'm just not going to go there uh, on one playoff series, yeah. especially after a good season. 
I, I mean, I, I just, the just patience is a virtue and this is a new product. And certainly you, if you think you can improve at any position, I mean, if you can, you know, if you could improve on Fox, uh, you do it. I don't know how in the hell you'd do it, but, uh, <laughs> but, but certainly, but, but so I, I I'm dancing here, but you are really, I, I would give them, I, I think the Kings know exactly what they need. I think it's apparent to about everybody uh, and, and try to work around the edges, uh, but don't give up on guys who are good for you just because of a, a few bad games. Now, if they can't get it done going forward, then that's different. But uh, yeah, if you can get somebody you think will perform for you better than Kurt Herter, you do that. Uh, and it, it's not going to be easy. Uh, you know, that, I mean, because he was an awfully good player this year. He was a very poor player in the playoffs. That's, you know, I personally think Monk's a better player and I'd probably, if it were me, I'd probably start him, but that's, <laughs> that's just me. Uh, you know, and that's a fan's view from afar because I think he just, he's just a damn good player getting better. And I think the upside is, is so much higher. Uh, so anyway, good question. I obviously don't have the answers. Will, do you have a, uh, I don't know, was any, are you out on any players based on their playoff performances or are you still kind of, you need to see more as far as like who can, who can cut it for this team moving forward, going into the postseason? Yeah, I was thinking about that question as Jerry was talking about it. And I feel like a lot of that has to be, I don't want to necessarily say age-based, but experience-based. Like like Harrison Barnes had a, a rather bad playoff series. And he's a 10-year vet. So he does not get the same rope as someone like Keegan Murray. Like Keegan Murray had a really bad few games. If he'd had a really bad series, I'd have gone, okay, if we get to the playoffs next year and he's terrible in the first round, I'm not giving up on him. If it takes three or four years before he finally gets comfortable in the playoffs, okay, he's a, he's a kid. He's just getting started in this league. It might take a few years to get comfortable. If Harrison Barnes comes into next year and has a terrible first round, and then the next year we're heading towards the playoffs or we're in the playoffs and he's having a bad first round, I'm going to be like, oh, you got to pull the plug. He's 12, 13 years into his career. I think a lot of it is experience-based, like, Fox might be a little bit older. Sabonis might be a little bit older, but their playoff experiences are both different. So I, I guess I, I take it on an individual, like, I don't want to say vibes basis, but like very much on like a person by person basis on, on whether or not I give up on them. Like Barnes had a really bad series. I think he cost himself some money. Uh, is that right? Because he had a decent, a decent season and then seven games determines that the Kings go, yeah, we can't do this. We can't bring him back another year. Or we can't do this for $17 million. It's got to be for fourteen. Uh, he might have cost himself some money. He might not. I don't, I don't know. But I, I know that if this were if this were the second year and he'd had another bad series, I'd be like, we got to get somebody in there quick. We got to get somebody in there next year. We can't bring this back if Harrison Martin could be that bad. And I wouldn't think that about Keegan Murray unless we were three or four or five or six years down the road on that one. Yeah, that, that's a great point, Well, because, uh, I mean, you have to look at Harrison different. You just do. Yeah. You know, he's 30 years old and he's been through it. So, yeah, uh, you, you know, uh, so so that's that. And Keegan Murray, you have to look at it different. He's young. He's, I always say people forget that Pedro Stojakovic as a rookie did not start. Yeah. People forget that. Yeah. Keegan Murray had a better rookie year than Pedro Stojakovic. Yeah. So that's why I say – Boy, 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 don't 
patience, patience. This kid is, I, I think, can be, could be a star. I mean, how many, I mean, when you break the damn rookie record for threes, I mean, he's a shot maker. He's a shot maker. And, and, and he got, so he started rebounding the second part of the year. And yes, he was as timid as a, a little girl. Sometimes I thought uh, early in the year, but he got, would go games with no rebounds or no assists or no shots or very few. And, 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 you know, we talked about this the last time about Keegan and, and I, and I knew I was right. I said, you know, the playoffs, he started so bad, but he does that. All, if you just watched his career this year, summer league, first couple of games, it's like, Ooh, why did we draft this guy? Yeah. By the end of summer league, he was the best player in summer league. Uh, you know, start of the regular season. Oh, this guy, man, he's, he's just not doing enough. You know, he, he just doesn't, you know, and as year went on better and better and better playoffs, first couple of games, he is overwhelmed. Yep. Why wouldn't he be never seen it, never been anything like that. Why wouldn't he be? Yeah, but near the last several games, he was pretty darn good. So anyway, I'll, I'll get off that soapbox now. Jerry, you, you mentioned people forgetting, uh, unless they're in their forties, they were just too young to remember that. Well, I know that's, <laughs> that's what I'm, that's what I'm here for. That's yeah. the only value I have. Uh, you have you have the gift and the curse of a long memory and, <laughs> yeah and yeah. anyone in their 20s was just a toddler the last time that happened no i know <laughs> and i mean it really is that's that you know that the one thing i i think i i do have i can remember these kind of things that uh you know i think really tells you something that yeah that's how you get better is is yeah that doesn't mean that uh he's going to be paid to Stoyakovic, but also doesn't mean he can't be. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the rest of these questions we kind of hit on in other parts of the podcast. So I think that's, that's it for uh, the Patreon questions this week. Okay. So Jerry, we're running it down to you then. How are you wrapping up the show today? Well, I just, uh, I think my thoughts, I, just how much I enjoyed uh, doing these podcasts and trying to handle these questions. I want to apologize to great questions and I didn't give really very good answers a lot of times because I, I really, they took me by surprise and, and I wasn't always prepared, but I liked them. I had a good time with it. And then more, the other thing is I just loved you guys' writings. I mean, the, I think the writing on the King's Herald is just uh, brilliant. I mean, it's it's certainly the athletic, it's, it's not an improvement in any way, shape, or form, and I, and I think, the, and I truly enjoy the the people that comment. I don't agree with a lot of them, that's for sure. But but some of them, I sure make me feel pretty dumb too. You know that have thought things out very well, and so uh, yeah, it's just a kind of a look back from the year. And the truth is, we've all kind of went through the idea that, gosh, is this going to be another crappy year? And, and we just had a marvelous year, a fun team that was so much fun to watch and, and grow. And, and they did grow. And they had a crappy second half of a seven-game series against the defense. And, okay, let's say that's what they had. Yeah. And uh, if, if, if we can uh, look forward to something a little bit better than that next year, I'm on board. Yeah. You know, I'm on board. Uh, yeah, I, I just – I'm just so happy that uh, – you know, I never, I was beginning to think I would not live to see another playoff team. So I just selfishly, 
and uh, and really just just kind of reading you guys, it, it kind of kept me going. And, you know, there is a chance. And then some of the some of the people that comment, you know, they're so positive. I I, I wonder if they're drunk when they're doing that sometime. <laughs> But because <laughs> sometimes over the years, it's helped me to be yeah. positive, a little alcohol. <laughs> so uh, so anyway, that's about it. But just uh, I, I just can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this year uh, doing doing this with you guys, watching this team and watching them grow and to, you know, to see the growth of Fox, the wonderful job coaching by Mike Brown, the general man manager. So why why wouldn't we be positive going forward? Just why wouldn't we? Well, uh, I guess I'll wrap up by saying uh, uh, just to add on to Jerry's, this was an incredibly special season for us all at the Kings Herald. It's always a, a pleasure to talk basketball with two fantastic gentlemen like Jerry and Tony. And many, many times over as joyful when the team that we get to talk about is good. Uh, we find time to do all this in our busy schedules and with families and day jobs and incredibly understanding partners that we have. And I can't state how thankful I am for the patience that Tony and Jerry have have shown with me and also the love and support that they've shown me and how much you, our, our listening honest audience, has shown all of us um, uh, for doing this show. There is, there's no way to put into to words uh, the honor it is to be able to do this with Jerry and Tony and for all of you guys that are listening uh, so I'll shut the hell up and uh, and say thank you for a fantastic season, guys. And I cannot wait for the future uh, uh, and, and what's in store for this podcast and for the Kings Herald website and for the Sacramento Kings. So thank you so much. And we will uh, we will be talking again in two weeks.